Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Hey, good morning, Grace. Good stuff today. Uh, we'll start with me. Some, something you don't know about me, maybe you do. Um, I, I, love, I love time travel stuff. I do. I like movies and books and uh, fantasy literature on time travel. It's not, it's not at a healthy level. Uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, I, I've seen uh, Groundhog Day like eight times. Now, you think about that movie, Bill Murray repeats the same day 38 times just in that one movie. And if I've seen it eight times, that means I've seen 304 days of this guy's life. Spend more time with him than my third born child, I think. But the reason I like time travel you know, themes is because of uh, something that's called chaos theory. More popularly, it's called the butterfly effect. And it's the idea that there's nothing inconsequential. There's no simple little things that have no uh, effect on the future. And so, you know, if, if you travel back in time and manipulate something ever so slightly, then there's almost an infinite amount of possibilities of how you could have altered Reality. So, you know, the, you know the, the butterfly effect is that you go back in prehistoric times and, and so much as accidentally step on a butterfly, you come back to the present time and it's a whole new reality. And like, for example, you know, Ireland rules the world, which is what should have happened, except somebody. Anyway, the point is, uh, the, I'd like, I like time travel stuff. Melinda hates time travel stuff. But hey, so I watched it by myself, and it's gotten so bad that I've watched this movie. Look at this movie. I mean, look at that. Then, <laughs> I know it's like, don't look. Don't judge me, okay? But look, it may, I mean, that, just that, that poster alone makes me want to, like, talk in my head like a, like a high school girl, you know? <clears throat> I mean, look how unoriginal that is. Oh, look, they fell in love in the rain. <laughs> We've never seen that before, right? I can think of 10 movies on the top of my head where that happens, starting with Singing in the Rain and Breakfast at Tiffany's, and even Spider-Man falls in love in the rain like this. But the reason, the reason I bring it up to you is because it says in there, it says, a new funny movie about time, but then it says, with a little bit of time travel. And that's what hooked me. I mean, it, and... So I actually watched that movie, and it was a good movie. The guy in there, his name is Tim. And when, uh, in, his, in his bloodline, when you turn 21, the males get, inherit time travel. And it's, it's, it, there's a lesson in this, so I'll tell you the lesson. What, what Tim learns is after he kind of gets over the joy of time travel, he realizes he can use it to, you know, get this woman to fall in love with him. He's been in love with her for a while, but he needs help. And so the first date turns into a third date. The fourth proposal turns into a fifth. And he finally starts getting that right. But, the, but what's interesting is uh, when, when they're married and they're, and they're living, I think he's a lawyer or some, something in New York City, and he's a stress-filled life. And he's, what he starts doing, he realizes he'll start living every day twice. Because what he'd found in this pattern is the first time he lived his day uh, he'd find himself, you know, anxious about everything. He never knew how it was going to come out. And so be- because he was so busy being worried, he wasn't living in the moment. He, wasn't, he was never present. He wasn't even living his own life. And so he, knowing how that particular day ended, he would go back and live that exact day a second time. But the second time, it was, he was there. He, he was with the people he was with. He was experiencing that. Wherever he was, there he was, and he enjoyed that. Now, what happened over time, and he had plenty of time, was he realized a pattern, for good or for bad, uh, that, you know, um, 
not to worry about, you know, the little stuff. And then he learned over even more time, and he had plenty of time, that everything's, most everything's the little stuff. And so, so eventually, he, Tim just started living every day once. Every, every day he lived once because he realized he could be present without having the gift of time travel. He was able to drink in everything. He'd learned over the process that every day was a day that he would travel to to enjoy and to, and to you know, experience, right, and to cherish every one of those moments. Now, listen, we, we don't have time travel at our service, I think, right? Like, I asked anybody here, time traveling? It's the second or third time you've been here today? I feel that sometimes, I know. <clears throat> we're going to go to the Bible instead. And what we're going to learn is how to live life to its fullest because the Bible speaks to us with promises about living a life to the fullest. The definition of a saint is that. I mean, uh, here's some quotes, right? Uh, life holds only one tragedy, ultimately, and that's not having been a saint. Augustine said, the glory of God is a man fully alive. Jesus promised this. I came that you might have life, that you would have abundant life. So we're going to learn about abundant living. This is the third week we've done that, actually, how to actually do this thing, the, the thing that Jesus promised us. Two weeks ago, uh, we found out that we should be not worrying about anything. We should be praying about everything with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God would, would invade our lives. Last week, we found out that we should be thinking right. We should be thinking about every kind and only of things that are wise and things that are beautiful. We should do the right things, and the God of peace would visit us. This week, we learned about contentment. The theme of, this, of today's uh, passage is contentment, and I would say the theme of Paul's life and even the theme of this book, because contentment in this definition is going to be joy. Look at verse 11. We'll look at through, through, through verse 13. It says, Paul's saying this. So, so look, I'm not saying <clears throat> this because I need anything. I, I've learned to be content okay, in whatever circumstances. I know what, it's, it, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I've been fed or hungry, whether I've been living with plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you look at that passage, okay, you're going to find that it, there's three keys that if we can understand them and apply them, we will live the abundant life. Okay, three words, we're going to look at three words. And if these three words become a part of our, our concepts and our lifestyle, then we're going to have a life with no regret. Three words, okay, content. Uh, the other one is going to be secret. And the last one is, is going to be learn. Those will help us live a life to the glory of God. First, content. Content. This is the theme of this passage. It's the theme of the book. It's the theme of his life. It's about joy. Uh, he's going to say it twice because he means what he says. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, I've, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living with plenty or in want. I mean, look, look I mean, he just goes on and on about it. Look, what, what is contentment? Contentment is a, a deep inner tranquility. It is uh, an essential happiness. Now, what's radical about what Paul is saying here about contentment, okay, this, this inner state of happiness, is he's saying it's independent, completely disconnected from circumstances and situations. Now, you won't see this uh, 
in any other place where Paul's going to say a version of the word circumstances twice, and he's going to define it three different times. He's going to use six different ways to say, I'm living joy-filled. Look, look again, look what he says, content in whatever circumstance. I wonder what circumstance means. Oh, whether it's in need or whether I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Gosh, what does that mean? Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living with plenty or want. He belabors the point because he's trying to show us this, this, this inner peace and deep satisfaction that's independent of circumstance. We have a word for that. Joy. That's the theme of the book. That joy is the ability to have inner tranquility, uh, a, a deep sense of happiness, disconnected, decoupled from, entirely independent from, right, circumstances or situations. Paul's saying, look, I'm not going to be defined. Who I am as Paul will not be defined whether I'm a success or I'm failure, whether I, I have power or weakness, whether I have accolades or I'm, you know, covered in shame. I have found the secret of contentment, of joy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so if, it's, if it's right here, if, if it's, and it's what God, it's what Jesus Christ promised, here's the question. Why do so few people experience the abundant life, a life worth living? How, why do so few people experience what, what Tim learned was to drink in and cherish every moment as though we are time-traveled to this to drink this moment in, a life without regrets? Here's why. Because, you know, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an uncommon faith is what it comes down to. That's why the talk is called uncommon faith. Paul has this uncommon faith. Soren Kierkegaard, the inventor of, uh, of existentialism, said, you know what he called the Christians because they didn't have this? He called the church the Christian herd because they, they were mindless drones, just, you know, like, right, just following the herd through, doing whatever was next, but no one fully living, no one fully drinking of it. Now, the reason it's uncommon to have this level of faith or this kind of faith is because the next word we're going to look at, it's a secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, or whether living or plenty. Um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's, this, this level of contentment, it's not, it's not right like on the surface for us. It's beneath the things that we long for. It is underneath what we want. Now, those things, those things that we want... And those things that we long for, those are clues. Uh, follow the crumbs. Paul had to learn the secret of contentment. Okay? It, it didn't just happen that he found that it was Christ who strengthens him. That was, the, that was the answer to the secret. But what you have to do in this, you have to realize that the, the wants and the desires are clues. You, you, um, you, you want to be loved. That's a good thing. But that's pointing to something deeper that you truly want and need, the love of God. You love industry, the ability to create things, right, and work. You, you desire deeper still to work with God and for God, right? You, you want to be acknowledged, right, to be known. Go deeper. <laughs> Follow the yearning. We were singing, I want to yearn more. Yearn for what? What's it leading to? a secret, that you're really yearning to, for approval from God. What, what happens in the culture, and it's, it's the nature of man, to say this, is, this contentment is not a secret. 
It's easy to find, especially in our culture, it's easy to find contentment. You find your dream and pursue your dream and live your dream. Find your passion. That can be frustrating for some people. They don't know what their passion is. It takes them a while. But, you know, that's okay. You'll find it someday, honey. Don't worry. We'll still, another test. We'll take another test. And we're going to find that. And then, and then you, you kind of live that thing out. And what Paul is saying, right, it's like, if I can just get to the right school, if I can get the right job, have the right career, have the right whatever family or thing or stuff, right, reputation, that's my dream. I'm living that dream. What Paul here is saying, if that's so obvious, that's the usual suspects. Contentment like this is an uncommon faith. It's a secret. And what he does, he says, I'm going to prove to you that your view of contentment you know, living your dream, whatever that might be, is, it, it can't hold. It, 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 watch. He, he puts up against two extreme tests. He throws it into whether it was plenty or want. Because w- when, you, when you have plenty or want, when it's attached to this thing that you need, this thing you desire, these two, they, they just, they crush it in various ways. If you, if you get it, you'll have a certain consequence. If you don't get it, you'll have another consequence. But if it's a shallow dream that's obvious, it won't endure this. Most of us, here's the problem with most people, is they never get the want or the plenty. Paul would love us to have want and plenty for our dreams because we would see them for the lies that they are. It, 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 we, we, don't get to, we don't have our dreams utterly destroyed for the most part, and we never get to achieve, achieve them in the fullest. And because of that, you know, the carrot is always before us, right? If we just a little bit longer, a little bit farther, I'm almost there. And, and because of that, uh, we live in the matrix. Plato, we live in the cave where, right, we're just living in a shadow experience. We're not living full lives. And so Paul would pray for us that you would have plenty or you would have want. Because then you would see that it can't hold what we long for. If you get it, if you get your, um, I mean, you can hear the stories are everywhere. But if you get your dream, you have what's called destination sickness. And people that, they get to the top of the ladder of some, any kind of ladder. And they say, is this it? Right? There, right, there's more, Right? And there's not. See, we have eternal desires, and we can't fill them with temporal plugs. And, or sometimes, okay, if it's not that one, then, then we have a, a dream, a desire, this need, this want, this thing we, we, we worship, and, and we don't get it. It's absolutely, completely crushed. There is no way this is going to happen to you. Sometimes that does happen. Most of the time it doesn't. When it does, you, then you have to rearrange your whole life. You say, why do I live? Why do I even go on? And so Paul says, you know, I would say this. I, I hope... I I hope that you get everything or nothing when it comes to your dreams because then you're going to run through kind of these switch options of what you're going to do next with this. When you have an obvious, um, whatever, contentment, because there's a secret of contentment, if you have an obvious contentment, I hope that you succeed or fail because the first thing usually that people do when they have it, they get it and they say, what's this? Or they don't get it and say, how do I live? They say, okay, uh, I need to find another dream. You know, I, I've got to get a better, I've got to get another job. That's the problem. See, I had the wrong dream. I kind of borrowed from somebody else or my mom inflicted this on me. So I'm going to get another dream. I'll get another job or another wife or another figure. I'll get a, another location. If I moved into a better zip code, see, 
that you just move on. You just keep moving. And that's why many people in our culture are highly anxious, driven, and scared to make commitments to things or people. Okay, we got we to gotta keep moving. And as you get older, you can feel it because you're running out of time and you've run through so many dead-end streets and you're starting to wonder, uh-oh, uh-oh. And then sometimes what happens is the next thing. I think this is more popular and more common. Then find another dream is you just give up on joy. You think, you know what? I know there's something longing inside of me that's more, but I got to shut this thing down because, okay, I, I tried those various things. Either I got them or I didn't. They were dashed or they were realized. And, and I can't live with that. And so what ha- it's, it's like if you don't like the smell of something, you cut your nose off. It's, your nose is not the problem. It's what you're smelling. It's, uh, so your heart has become, your heart has been hurt by pursuing, for example, love, right? And so instead of saying love is a good thing to pursue, I'm saying I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll just go hard and let the heart get hard and cynical and bitter. This is the modern life. This is the way people, what they've done is they've taken the things that make us human, right? We're made, there's a difference in man and there's a difference it makes. And it's, and it's a difference in kind, not in degree. And so we long to soar. We were made to soar. We, we long to, to, for eternity. We were meant to love. And, and so the second option is let's just squash this down. We'll shut it up. We'll kill the canary that sings eternal songs within our souls. That's what we'll do. And I'll just live a stoic life. Limited emotion, limited involvement. Nobody gets hurt. And you're crushing the thing that, that calls out for you to be noble, right? To be royal. Those are the options. And, and that's why you become cynical and hard. And I would pray, I would hope like Paul would, that you would have prosperity or detriment. Because what happens, here's what happens when, when, when people either go to one, what are they, they go through the first door, they say, I'm going to choose another, that's it. I just, that's it. I'm just new at this. I just chose the wrong dream. And then they do enough of that and they say, you know what, dreaming's for dreamers. And they raise their kids to be that way, right? Don't hope too much, that sort of thing. And then sometimes, sometimes there's this third option down here where you, you just, you're, you're tired of the poison of cynicism and bitterness in your heart, right? And you say, I can't. So there's this like, I quit, but I want more. It's very, it's kind of strange. I quit on those first two. I quit thinking I know what the sec- that it's not a secret of contentment. I quit even thinking that I know this thing, that I can see this thing, taste this thing, touch this thing. And then when that happens, when you quit and yearn for more, then it's this, this door opens up and says, this is the secret to contentment. This is the secret to joy. Right? It's, your identity is not going to be wrapped up in these other things. This, by the way, when people come in the church and they're seekers from this background, right? They've either, they've either got everything they wanted, plenty, or they've lived in want, or both, even better. When they come in, they go almost to the front of the class when it comes to joy and contentment, independent of circumstance, because they're untethered from it already. They know it's a lie. They know it's wasting time. And when you look at Paul as an, a, a wonderful example of this, he, he's saying, he's, he, he summarized he summarizes his whole life in this sentence, in this single sentence. In a lot of ways, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, if that's true in his life, then you can look back at the previous chapters, right? And you say, no wonder he was able to say, 
Remember when he listed, you know, all of his references? You know, he says, and I left all of that behind, all that honor, all that respect, all, you know, all the accolades and prosperity. I don't care about that stuff because of who Christ is in my life. And those things don't matter so much anymore. And then when he talks about, and I'm going to press on the things ahead, what's ahead for him? His immediate circumstance, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's the, guy, here's the point. His, his dream in life is to, is to be identified with, with Christ. And because of that, you can't take that away. And if you can't take something away from someone, that gives them great courage, right? That gives them great strength. And that's how, that's how he's living. So here, the idea is this. It's, uh, it's, it's like this... Uh, there's this giant banquet table, right? And, and if, you, if you understand that you pursue the, the things that are deeper, right? You long for what's not what you want or need, but underneath that. Not love, but the love of God, right? Not acceptance, but the acceptance of God. Then you find out, look, when things go great for you, that's amazing. That's a good thing that you'd be comfortable or that you'd be successful or that you'd be well-known or whatever it is, right? But that's, over, that's like this garnish thing over here. It's dessert. It's not the... It's not the meal. It's not what nourishes you. And then when want happens in your life and you lose any possibility of ever achieving that goal or that dream, but that's not what owns you, if that's not what, it, that's not what possesses you, that's not what drives you, that's not what your identity is, then that's like, um, oh, this happens a lot for me, just, just sour tea. You know, it's just sour tea. It's not the meal. The meal is what we talked about, that he is a good, good God, and we are loved. Okay? So, if, if, if this is all true, okay, that this is what contentment is. Contentment is joy, right? Inner tranquility, independent of circumstances, and that it's a secret, and the secret comes from abandoning um, temporal things and going deeper and, follow, and seeing the clues and following those deeper still and realizing that those are found in Christ. Our third word, Learn. Learn. I love this because Paul, the apostle, I know it's easy for us to, you know, make this guy into more than he is, but Paul, it said he learned it. He says it twice. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance, right? I, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I was well-fed or hungry, whether I was living in plenty or in want. Okay? He, he had to learn the secret of joy. <laughs> Look, when an apostle tells you twice that he had to learn something, I think you, you and I should like grasp hold of that and realize, what if, what if this is the meaning of life? Watch this. Boy, did you pick a good Sunday. Watch. Here we go. The meaning of life. Try to make sense out of this. What if life is learning? What if all of life... You know, I mean, all of life is about learning. What if we're students, right? And, and we're, we're to, our souls are to be educated. And, and here's what we're supposed to be learning. The things that we want too much, the things that we need too much, the things that uh, we are wrapping our identity around, there's a word for that, okay? It's worship. It's idol worship. When you want something too much, when you need something too much, when you're attaching your whole identity to something, now you've built an idol and you serve it and you do what, it's, what it tells you to do. You can't lose it. 
You're threatened when, it, when it's possibly to be taken away from you. What if life was to learn that that's worship? What if life was to learn that the nature of our bent soul is to build idols? Now watch this. Okay, let's just pretend some of that is true, okay? Just humor me. The first commandment, or the first and second, depending on how you number them, listen, I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't, why would you start off with that? Because that's the first thing you go to. Given time by yourself, you're going to build idols, you're going to worship something else, and you're going to make it like the reason you live. Psychologically, you say, you know, I'm going to build something so that I can be significant. Uh, sociologically, I'm going, to, I'm going to do something or find myself in a place or with people so that I can be secure. Theologically, I'm going to live a life so I can earn God's approval, whatever it might be. But the point is that life is learning that given time and freedom, we're going we're gonna to take something that was good. That's one of the things that hurts. We take something that's good, a longing, a yearning, a want, a need, and we, and we turn them into more than they were meant to be. And when that happens, we're supposed to be learning, right, that Christ, that we can learn that Christ alone, Christ alone is our strength. He is our significance. He is our security. He is our identity. And now we can be free. What if, what if, like we're, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, everything else is leading up to that, okay, you enter, you enter Christ University, Okay, and the dean of students is Jesus and his Holy Spirit, and he's customized a core curriculum, like think about this, for each one of you so that you might live a life that's content, that's joyful, independent of circumstances. But because you're a lifelong learner and you realize you're bent towards idol making, he provides life circumstances so that you might either have plenty or want and realize these things were starting off good, but now they're turning into idols. And now you need to kill them. (laughs) If life is learning, and we're learning about what makes us truly happy, then Job, think about this, then Job is not an exception, he's a template. Okay, watch, right? How is Job doing with, uh, he's learned the secret of contentment, that Jesus, uh, he can do all things through Jesus who strengthens him. How's he doing with, let's start with success. How's he doing with success? That's how it starts off. Well, he's hugely successful in every context. He's very comfortable. He's very loved. He has a great family. He, um, he has a, a super reputation. Everything about him. How's he doing? He's doing wonderful. It doesn't own him. He, do, he doesn't serve it. It's just, right, right? It's just, it was just salad on the side, right? And so we know that because Jesus says, or I'm sorry, God says, look at my servant Job in all of his prosperity there is none like him. He is a righteous man. Okay, how's that test going in the core curriculum for this customized lesson for Job, which is more like all of us? Then he says, well, how does he do with wanting? Well, let's see then. And the rest of the story is Job learning the secret of being content, not in prosperity, but in sorrow, in want, in hunger. And Job is learning what? He's going to learn that Jesus is enough. His relationship with God is enough. He's learning to be content, independent of circumstances. That's the story. How does he learn that? Do you know the story? 
I mean, he's wallowing right in his questions in tremendous physical pain. He's, he's grieving in ways that we can't even imagine. And then God shows up. And Job doesn't want to talk about Job anymore. Job doesn't want to talk about his idol worship of answers and his absolute necessity that's fixated on justice. He needs, he has to have an answer to the question justice. And justice has become his God. And then God shows up and he goes, who, what? He forgot his question. That's the template for us. Then he finds contentment in good and in bad. He passes. He's head of the class. So here's the point. Keep your heart tender. Life is learning. Life is learning. So what you learned as a young Padawan right in elementary school spiritual life isn't going to get you to junior high because life gets, we go deeper and deeper. We're called deeper. That won't get you to 20s. That won't get you into your 30s. So you're learning again, Paul says, and I learned the secret of contentment. Not once, a couple times, several times I had to learn. That's the thing. Here, here you, want, you want to learn how to learn it? You want to learn how to learn the secret? Here's how. Here's how to actually do it. When you find yourself, see, when you, when you're, when you find yourself, you have, okay, let's just put it. Step one, analyze your discontent. I'll put it in steps. That'll be easier. Analyze your discontent. When you find yourself uh, overly anxious, okay, bitter, cynical, worried, that means you have something that you can't lose, right? That means you're holding on to a value or a dream that's now it's become, it might be a good thing, but now it's become too much of a good thing. And now it's become something that maybe is an idol. And, and then, you, and then you, you drill down on it and you say, how did this become my identity? How did this become my fixation? How, did, is it, how is it drawing all of my resources and attention? Why am I consumed by this? How did this happen to me? Well, it's coming after me. What's happened? And then, so part one is to identify your discontent. And part two is now you preach the gospel after that thing. I mean, you target that thing that you can't lose or maybe that you own that's destroying you. And you target that and you say, no, 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 wait a minute. You just envision yourself being Job. In light of God's presence in my life, in light of him being my cornerstone, now what can I, now what does it look like? You know what it looks like? It looks like sour tea and it looks like a dessert that I don't care that much for. All the saints had to learn this way. All the saints, this is one of the most important things you can do for self-awareness. You find out, you stop in all of your anxiety or in all of your arrogance and you say, how is this becoming so important to me? It's an idol. Because we've learned that we're idol makers and we're idol worshipers. Here's some homework. Well, let's do, let's do what's called a case study. Here's a great way to try this out at home. Okay. Do it. You can be a time traveler for this. Okay. This will be cool. Okay. Time travel back to you. Okay. And watch you in junior high, high school, or your early twenties. I want you to go back in time because junior high, high school, and, and early twenties, you you're new at idol making and you're overly committed and you over exaggerate the drama. Okay. When you get it or when you lose it. And so it'll be easy to watch you freak out. And generally speaking, that, that idol is going to show up again and again in your life. Okay. And so go back where you're looking for circumstantial contentment and say, wow. And, and maybe when you got it, 
or it was robbed of you. When you lived your dream, right, and said, is this it? Or and it and maybe uh, it made you a monster, right? Or you, there was no hope anymore for that dream. Now, now, second set of questions. Did you move on to a new dream? Oh, I'm just going to join another club. I'm going to try to get in something else. I'm going to, or did you shut the system down and say, I won't care anymore. I am a rock. I'm an island because a rock feels no pain. And an island, it never cries. I was, that was pie in the sky stuff. Put your head down and whatever. What you don't do, here's the thing. What I, Don't say what you desired was wrong. Don't say what you needed was wrong. It became too big for you. Now, part two, you preach the gospel to it. Now you bring what you know now into that. You speak to your younger self and say, what if Jesus the king was holding your hand in that moment of shame or in that moment of arrogance? It doesn't matter. And he's holding your hand in royal garbs. And he says, she's mine. Everything's pretty small now, right? And now, you're in, now, now you can look back. Hopefully, maybe you could even re-identify what sent you off. Have you noticed, have you read these articles that the, you know, uh, dazed and confused, confused crowds, the 80s kids, are now old enough? The highest ranking of depression and suicide are the high school cheerleaders and the football players, the popular kids. And you know why? Because whether they got it in high school, well, in this case, they did, it's all downhill from there. They had their dream and it wasn't enough and they were done. And so you can, this is a classic story. I'll use it as an example because it happens everywhere all the time. Every year at every high school, you have that cheerleader that has to be a cheerleader, right? You just know she does. And she either gets it, right? She gets her plenty and it it destroys her and good grief, she's hard to be with. And then she flames out after school or the one who didn't get it and she decided she's going to change her life and it destroys her afterwards. Why? Because they wanted too little in life, not too much. They made an idol out of that thing, and it wasn't enough to satisfy their soul. You do that for your old self. That's your case study. Now I want you to turn it to the present. You look in the mirror and say, what are you worrying so much about? What are you consumed with so much about? What do you care so much about? Is it, is, is it an idol? Is it telling you how to live now? Are you, are you feasting on the bitter tea and, and the dessert instead of the main course? Right? Speak the gospel of what we sing about in here towards that. So if you're anxious about it and you're too anxious about it, right, then pray about it with thanksgiving. Right? If it's a lie, then only listen to what is, what is wise and beautiful and do the right thing. And today we learn about contentment. It's a secret. That's how to live a life. That's how to live an abundant life. That's the life that God has for us. You think about time travel and abundant life living. I personally, I go to this guy, Lazarus. I love this guy. He's the first time traveler. He's, he went to his own funeral. I mean, think about this. It's not like Huck Finn or Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Where they're in some kind of weird context. This guy died and went to his own funeral. And, and then if you know the story... He's like his, he's in a tomb. There's a giant stone in front of it. Jesus loves Lazarus, one of his favorites, and he says, "Lazarus, come out here." And in that moment, right, his heart begins to beat. His flesh changes color. He inhales. He takes a breath. He walks out. But friends, 
Nothing is ever the same for this family. His sisters, Mary and Martha, they, this will identify them. Nothing else will matter after this. This is, Lazarus has been raised again. And, and, and so it, it's just, I'm sure they still argue their siblings, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I, I would bet at table talk, they'd be going back and forth. And then finally somebody would just stop and stare at him, right? And Martha would cry and Mary would laugh and Lazarus, okay, I'm sorry I died, but I'm back. They would, they, would, they would never stop telling the story. And think about, think about Lazarus' uh, perspective on life, right? Mary, come, Mary was there. Mary comes running back from the crucifixion and says to Lazarus, right? You know, he, he, he died. He's been crucified. Lazarus would say, no, no, no. He is the resurrection and the life. Though he, though he died, he will live. He would know that with confidence. They'd tell the stories over and over and over. Every time he went to their house... I was crying, Mary was crying, Jesus wept, Lazarus was raised. How could it not be their new identity? Here's the point. You were raised. You were raised. If you died with him, you were raised with him. We're all supposed to have a new sense of destiny, and it's the resurrection. And so no matter what we dream, if they're good, if they don't consume us, these dreams, they can be enjoyed or lost because our identity is in him. Our identity is in our resurrection with him. We have learned the secret that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If that's true for a person, that we could have four people in here, four people with this uncommon faith so that they would learn the secret of contentment, what would happen collectively as a church. Think of the power of that, that we would all slay our idols, find them out, call them by name, preach the gospel into that aspect of our our thinking and feeling. As a church, we were content. That would be an uncommon church filled with uncommon faith, overflowing in uncommon peace and uncommon joy, right? That church is what Jesus was talking about when he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. That's what he was talking about, a resurrected church. We're going to pray for that right now. I want you to pray for the person on your right. Okay, you don't have to know them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that they would experience uncommon faith. Lord Jesus, I pray for this person on my right. I pray for them, plenty and want, so that in plenty or in want, they would, they would flush out idols like a dove flushing quail. And so now that we can see them, we can call them out by name. And I, Lord, I pray for this person on my right, that they would see where they're entrapped and enslaved by something that they want too much, they need too much, too much of their identity is wrapped up in it, and they would, you, you are a false God killer from the beginning of sin. So I say, Lord, kill that God. Help them come to the wisdom that there's not another dream and there's no shutting down the human soul, but they would choose to open the door to the mystery, the secret of knowing that you are enough. You are more than enough. Lord, I pray for this person that they would be resurrected in their mind because they're resurrected in your heart that they would find that their name is written on your, on your hand, your name is written on their heart, and that's enough. 
And they can live with or live without, in plenty or in want. Lord, I pray for this church, that we would be a church that's uncommon with joy. And and the gates of hell will rattle as we march. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.